Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. We know any, nowadays God can mean anything. I want to thank God for this trophy that I just won. Whatever. What God? Clarify. Jesus. I find it interesting that the world and, and proponents, you know, are like totally against the church or whatever, single out Christianity. There's a lot of other religions in this world. There's a lot of other beliefs in this world. Why is everybody gunning for Christians? Why are they gunning for the, the temple? Why are they gunning for the vessels of God? Babylon had conquered many nations, including Israel. Yet the king chose the sacred vessels taken from the temple of Jerusalem to use, knowing that it would be the greatest offense to God and to the conquered nation of Israel. Today, Pastor James will discuss the specific targeting of believers in Jesus in the world today, despite the vast number of religions. Because at the heart of every unbeliever is an awareness of the truth that the Almighty God is completely sovereign and poses the biggest threat to their own sovereignty and power. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel chapter 5 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Daniel chapter 5. This is a transition chapter. We ended off chapter 4. That, that was basically the last of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, we had his last words. And essentially what we had with Daniel chapter 4 was uh, Nebuchadnezzar just like boldly proclaiming like, I'm, I'm worshiping the one true living God. That's who I'm going to worship. And, and I was encouraged this past week because I was Doing some, uh, doing some, you know, some studying and listening to a lot of teachings and all that good stuff. I stumbled across Pastor Chuck's teaching from Daniel, and I was like, I, I listen. I've listened to that thing numerous times. I had to when I was in Bible college. I had to take a lot of notes on that too. Um, but I was like, I'm going to listen to Chuck. And so as I listened to him on podcasts, if you don't know how podcasts works, when you're when you're listening to ends, it goes back to the previous one. Um, and so it went back into Daniel chapter four and I was just listening to Pastor Chuck, who I love. I admire that guy so much when he was here. Um, and, uh, he had a lot of the same kind of feelings that I did towards that chapter. And he's like, I think Nebuchadnezzar got saved. I'm like, thanks, Chuck. Uh, you made me feel better about that. I didn't feel any, I didn't feel bad about it. You could disagree with me on that and I don't really care. That's fine. But, um, I really think that Nebuchadnezzar had an experience where he surrendered his life and he became a worshiper of God. And, uh, and so we got to see that in chapter four. And, and that was like, man, if you're going to end your life and your legacy, so to speak, go out, you go out with the bangs, you know, in a good way. And he did, he did. He, he ended his life, you know, a life filled with pride and arrogance and essentially just doing whatever and whatever he wanted to do. And towards the end of his life, he surrendered to God, which is a beautiful moment. And you would think that that would carry on to his family, and it doesn't. And it doesn't. And this is a good reminder for us that um, our, our relationship with Jesus is not, it can't be caught, so to speak. It's not infectious. It, 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 you're close, whoever your close relatives are, whether if they're your, you know, your children or your lo- really close loved ones, they're not going to catch it, 
by being close to you. Meaning nobody just gets to go in on anybody else's, you know, coattails into heaven. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Everybody does. My kids, because I'm a pastor, does not mean that they are automatically saved. That's a decision they have to make on their own, okay? Which as a, as a father and as a pastor, uh, that's a decision in which my kids have professed, uh, you know, their faith in Jesus and makes my heart happy. And, uh, but that, it has to be them. It has to be between them and Jesus. We see with Nebuchadnezzar, he made a decision. However, we have no really idea what his son, and this is not his son in this story. This would be his grandson. But we know his grandson, whatever grandpa was doing, grandson is like, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> so, so this is where we pick up because Nebuchadnezzar has died. The rule, so to speak, has gone to Nebuchadnezzar's son and his son. This is a co-ruling kind of a thing that happens here with Belshazzar. His dad's kind of like semi-retired, right? So this is where we pick up. Verse 1, chapter 5, 23 years later after Nebuchadnezzar has died, basically. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. There you go. Okay, so we know really, we know little about this guy at all. We do know that he's related to Nebuchadnezzar. For the longest time, people, especially doubters of the Bible, really uh, didn't even, I mean, they, they used that name, Belshazzar, as something to discredit the Bible at all, because they're like, we don't even know if he existed. There's no record of his name and all that good stuff. Well, that's fine until somebody was digging around in the dirt over there around like 1853. And I've heard, seen some other dates of around 1914 where other documents have come out. But essentially, an archaeologist, archaeologist was out there digging around and, oh, lo and behold, Belshazzar, his name, written in stone forever. <laughs> forever. And once again, the Bible is confirmed. Confirmed. You think that would stop all these intelligent individuals? No, because then they just move on to the next one to try to discredit the Bible. And you're like, well, I don't know, go grab a shovel. Let's dig up some more dirt and more stuff's going to come out. I mean, everything that they've used to try to discredit the Bible, lo and behold, eventually it comes out. It's like, nope. That was true. There was a Belshazzar, absolutely was a Belshazzar in Babylon, okay? So this guy is assuming the role. Now, I said this earlier. He co-ruled with his dad. Now, his dad was probably like living outside of Babylon city limits in a semi-quasi-retirement kind of a thing. So he's handed over the key, so to speak, to Belshazzar, and, and this guy's a knucklehead. He has no idea what he's doing. No clue at all what he's doing. You can tell that oh, he's, he, every, every feeling you get, uh, you know, just reading through this chapter, you're like, seems like a brash, arrogant, typical ruler. If we're, you know, he's like, I'm going to get all my, I'm going to get a thousand, which they've, they've done some excavations in Babylon. They have found the palace rooms that would hold a thousand people. Okay. He's like, I'm going to fill it up with a thousand of his lords, his rulers, his, you know, all this good stuff. And he's going to, they're just going to get plastered. They're just going to drink. And they're going to celebrate what? We're going to celebrate ourselves. This is not a good party. This is a, this is a bad party. Okay. Verse two, it says, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, it doesn't mean that he just like took a little sip and was like, oh, this makes me think of something. No, he was like, 
he was almost merry with wine, okay? Uh, If you've seen that in the Bible, that means he's had too much wine, okay? So, um, which is a sin, actually. To be drunk with wine is a sin. He tasted the wine. He commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, which is Aramaic term there, father, not saying that it's his dad, but meaning that it's his grandfather, okay? His father, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem, be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, plural, his concubines, oh, that's the ladies who are not his wives, uh, might drink from them. Then they brought the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods, lowercase g, of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So there's the scene. Belshazzar's the new dude. He's there. He's got a thousand of the people who probably only look up to him and respect him because, solely because of his position. And he's like, you know what we should do? We should go and get all the gold and silver cups, vessels that my grandfather took from Jerusalem and bring them into here. And so here's the question that I have with that. Jerusalem was not the only city that they, that they sacked. They actually conquered many other cities. They actually conquered many other cities that were uh, represented by different religious beliefs. I find it fascinating that the one that this guy calls out is the temple that belonged to God that was in Jerusalem. The only vessels he wanted to drink out of were those that were dedicated to God. I find that very fascinating that he would single out that one out of all the other ones he's conquered and all the other gods, quote unquote, that, he's, that his grandfather had conquered. Why, the, why from the temple of God? Why the vessels of God? This worldly man, and he is, he's nothing but that. He's a worldly leader. And then I was reminded as listening to just, you know, just listen to teachings and all this good stuff. I was reminded of like, wait a minute, New Testament, you and I are the vessels. New Testament, you and I are the temple. I do think it's very interesting that the world singularly targeted God and Jerusalem in the Old Testament it seems quite interesting that the world singularly targets Christians and going after, I'm going to, you know, you know my thing. When I say God, you know what I mean, but I'm going to narrow that down to Jesus because it's hard to get around that one name because we know any, nowadays God can mean anything. I want to thank God for this trophy that I just won, whatever, what God, clarify, Jesus I find it interesting that the world and, and proponents, you know, are, are like totally against the church or whatever, single out Christianity. There's a lot of other religions in this world. There's a lot of other beliefs in this world. Why is everybody gunning for Christians? Why are they gunning for the, the temple? Why are they gunning for the vessels of God? It is interesting that, I mean, there, Jerusalem was not the only place that he had conquered, There probably were many other options that were out there. But no, no, no. He wanted the vessels 
that came from this holy temple from Jerusalem. And in, in, some, in a certain way, this is him just completely blatantly disrespecting God Almighty. No regard for God. None at all. None at all. This is a blatant disregard for him. This is spitting in God's face is what it, this is. And he's purposely doing this. He's absolutely purposely doing this. He knows what he's doing. And yes, I know he has tasted the wine, but he knows, he knows exactly what he's doing. And God will show up at his party. And that's not something you want to happen when you're having a drunken party. It's for God to show up at your party and start writing on the walls. This is graffiti from God. And it's like, this is not good, man. This ain't good. So just so you can kind of envision what's happening, this next part, this is key. So it would almost be like positionally where I'm at would be like where King Belshazzar would be. And then you're the thousands in attendance. And the writing, so to speak, is going to happen right behind me. So you all will see it before it ever clicks into my brain, kind of what's going on, right? So that's just to kind of paint a scene for you guys as we we go into this next little part. Verse five, immediately, as they're worshiping and praising all these gods of gold, silver, and whatever else, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. So this hand appears out of nowhere and it begins to write on the plaster. And I don't know if that's like, if it's using some sort of ink on the plaster or if it's like engraving it on the plaster. I'm not, we have no, we have no idea. I tend to think in my brain that this is like engraving it in the plaster, so as this celebration's going on, you can tell like eyes are beginning to bulge and to pop out. And it's like, and then Belshazzar, he turns and he sees it and he's like, well, that's not good. I've never seen that before. It has such an effect on him. Verse six, it says, the king's color changed. He went just pale as can be. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. This might be a good description of if you've ever had to stand up in front of people and speak and you're doing that thing and your knees are knocking together and uh, you're like, oh, my stomach feels sick, right? Um, That's kind of what's happening here, but really what's happening here? And listen, I don't plan these things out. This is just like the providence of God, right? Like how in control God is. Um, because what happens to this guy apparently happens to a lot of leaders and rulers of our day and age. His bowels loosened. I mean, he, he had an accident right there. Like that's literally what it says. And I, I wrote it on my, the side of my, my Bible there, his bowels literally loosened. Like he was, it, he got, it was scared right out of him. (laughs) I mean, literally There he is, the king, the ruler of the known world, needs to go change his pants. And I mean that in the British term, like the pants, you guys get it. In America, his pants are like jeans. In Britain, over in England, pants are, well, pants are underwear. I mean, that's just how it is. So Belshazzar, I got to quit calling him Nebuchadnezzar. Like he messed himself. 
right there. That's how impactful this moment was for him. That's how afraid, how moved he was. It's the, the term we get, the writings on the wall. This is where we get that term from. This is where we get that phrase from, I should say. And quite literally, the writing was on the wall, and he was just like, this isn't good. This isn't good. Immediately, verse 7, the king called loudly to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, that's a color of royalty, and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Third ruler meaning this, my dad's number one, I'm number two, and that, pardon that pun, but uh, I'm the second guy in command. And then whoever can discern what this means is the third. I'll make him the third ruler. Here's what's fascinating about this. What was written on the wall? Well, that was God's word. Here's what we can learn from that. I don't care how smart the world is, the world will never be able to discern or understand the word of God without a man or believer of God to interpret it. This is why you need, this is why you need teachers. I mean, people want to get down on, on churches and all that good stuff. Like, I don't like organized religion. Well, you like disorganized religion? Come on, nobody wants disorganized religion. And I get what they're talking about, the structural type stuff and all that. I'm like, all organisms have organization. That's how it works, okay? So, well, but I don't want somebody sitting up there teaching me and all this stuff. Well, that's how God has it established. That's the way it is. That's how he has it established. And God's word, and we know this, that's why we show up on Sundays and Wednesdays. That's why you show up on Tuesdays. We want to understand what his word says. Now, if you're a believer, you don't really need me. You have the Holy Spirit, who's the greatest teacher ever. He can bring you clarity and understanding of what his word says. But if you're not a believer, you can approach the word of God. You can read the word of God and you could think you understand what the word of God is saying, but without a relationship with Jesus, you'll never fully understand what it's talking about. And it is good when God has someone who, is, who has that relationship with him in the house, so to speak, to bring clarity, to bring interpretation to what, to what he's written. That's necessary. Belshazzar brings all the wise men brings all of them and says, what does that say? What does it mean? And they look at it and they say, we have no idea. We have no idea. They can't interpret it because they have no clue what, what it even means. He's promising them great gifts and all that. I mean, this is like, if you ever were going to try to like figure something out as far as, you know, being one of these wise men, this is your moment because, I mean, he can promote you to third in the kingdom. Like, that's major. That's, that's a major promotion. But it says, verse 8, all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. They, they couldn't. And it didn't, try as they might, they would never be able to bring an interpretation. Because again, there's no relationship. There's no relationship. What you need from a Bible teacher is for, well, you hope that they have a relationship with God. 
Because I don't care how smart they are. They're never going to be able to interpret this thing as God intended it to be interpreted. And just so we understand this, just like with this word that God has written on the walls of Babylon, with this word as well, there is singular one interpretation. There's not many interpretations. It's not, well, what do you think it means? And what do I think it means? There's none of that. It means what it means. And whether I come to that conclusion or agree with that or not makes no difference at all because there are many observations, there are many applications, but there is only one interpretation, just like in the story. These wise men could have been like, well, to me, I think it means this. You know what's going to happen at the end of the night? Belshazzar is dying. I think it means God wants you to be prosperous and enjoy a great, fruitful life. And, you know, in a matter of hours, he's dead. It didn't matter what you think it means. All that matters is, well, this is what it says, and this is what it means. So, the great wisdom of Babylon does them no good. All the worldly wisdom profits them nothing, nothing. There's only one, as far as we know, because they only call upon Daniel. Where's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I have no idea. I have no clue. They may, they may have passed away by this point in time. Daniel was like probably 85 years old at this time. We are coming to the end of captivity for Babylon. The 70 years are basically coming to a close. So Daniel's in his 80s by now, and he's the only one, and maybe he's the only one they call upon because he has experience in this stuff. But, verse 9, King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed. I don't know how his color changed again or to what. Maybe it went from ghostly white to like sickly green. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure what's going on there. But this, this dude's color is changing in his face. His lords were perplexed. The queen, verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Now, I do think it's interesting to note that, number one, the queen is probably not Belshazzar's wife. This actually was probably Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Okay? So just because it says queen doesn't mean she was married to Belshazzar. And it wasn't his mom. It was probably, well, I don't think it was his mom. Um, But it was, it could have been his mom. Um, There was some intermarrying going on back then. So, um, but she was not his wife, So she comes into the party. So she has no dealings with this party that's going on at all. But she hears what's going on, a commotion. She goes in and she's going to let this guy know, Belshazzar, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Again, that's like the third time that's referenced there, which means that there's some sort of significance to this dude was really shaken. Okay, that's all I know. There's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods, in, uh, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, or the spirit of God. I prefer that translation a little bit better. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, uh, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. 
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the book of Daniel together, and it's quite an interesting book to cover. From fiery furnaces to strange visions to having a faith that goes against society enough to be thrown to the lions, the book of Daniel is anything but boring. In fact, we hope your faith is spurred on because of what you read and learn in this book. If you need to hear this message again or would like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore a variety of verse-by-verse Bible-based teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary in Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come and visit. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Wednesday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m. You're welcome to join us anytime. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit breadforthebroken.com. You can also get directions there. We're excited to meet you and spend time in worship with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Daniel and gear up for what's ahead in this prophetic book. It's almost like a roller coaster ride where you're not sure what's around the next corner, but what you'll come to find out is rather thrilling, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.